So my first question is, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, uh, thanks for calling. Uh, my name is uh, Dino Bruce, and I'm at, I'm living in Nova Scotia at the moment, but uh, I'm actually from uh, Coral Harbor, Nunavut. Well, welcome, and thank you for taking my call. So uh, the reason that uh, I uh, reached out to you or found out about you, uh, firstly, was uh, your um, your your business or, and your artwork uh, uh, called uh, Innovations Inc. Uh, would you like to tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, actually, um, I, I, I've done, I really enjoy, enjoy working on Inuit um, tools, I guess you want to call it that. Uh, anything from harpoon heads to knives, uh, things that are used every, every day in the Arctic by the by the Inuit and I became very interested in that uh, at a young age and and you know as I as I started uh, working on them I I got interested in the more of the science part of it I guess uh, with the material that uh, we use uh, but one thing I always knew is that these are very personal tools um, for our people or for the Inuit, whether the Ulu is for the woman or the harpoon heads are, or the knives are for the men. And yeah, so, so from there, you know, we like to incorporate uh, the things, I mean, the innovation part of the Inuit when they created the Ulu or the, or the harpoon head and take it, take it to, I guess this, 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 this uh, kind of a futuristic type of, um uh tools of today and you know with with, the, with with what we have we're able to improve a lot of the things that uh, were used in times past and yeah so you know we, we've explored different ideas but generally have the same design to our uh, our our knives and our ulus and our our harpoons so that that's kind of where innovations came uh, was just the interest of seeing if we can make uh, something that was invented by our, by our people long ago and improve it and make it uh, something that is better today. And uh, how would how would you say that uh, you've innovated then with the with the ulu or the the harpoon head is it the materials the process the creativity involved in it or i believe i believe it's all of the above um when you take the the harpoon head for example our i've got some artifacts here that uh, we've collected over the years our my dad and i and the things that were made at the time uh with our by our ancestors are were made out of bone and we've evolved uh, today into using brass or, or, or steel. And back then, they used flint as the, the head or the, the sharpened ed, edge of the harpoon head. And over the course of time, um, we evolved into using blade, like steel blades, uh, with, with brass being the, the body of the harpoon head. So what I've been able to do over the last several years is 
developed or create a harpoon head that is all one piece, which is not necessarily. I mean, without the the, the blade, I thought it would be a lot uh, sturdier. And and but it took some time to figure that out. Uh, at least it took me a couple of years, maybe three years, to figure that out. The idea of having one piece harpoon head rather than having it two pieces. So in that point, I like I said, I, I've been able to create uh, something from the old days to something that is, you know, we we can call it, we can use it today. So yeah, that's that's just one aspect of it. And as far as the the ulus go. Um, we we also have some artifacts of, of, of old, old Ulus that our ancestors made way back when, and they too were made out of ivory and a little bit of copper uh, for the blade. So I've, I've, I've used, uh, I've been using stainless steel for those now. And, and, and in the, I guess last 30 or 40 years, if not a little longer, uh, we've used, uh, uh, saw blades in the past, and I think a lot of people still use that. But I wanted something. I wanted to create something that was uh, maintenance-free in terms of rusting and 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 getting dirty. So, so yeah. So I, I've 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 done quite a bit of thinking and a lot of different things. I guess so. Um, it's it's been good. My daughter. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was my daughter yep. coming in. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, no worries. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Children are always welcome. Yeah, they're 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 loud. <laughs> I've, I've I've got four of them, so. Okay. Yeah. 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 So the creation of of the. You know, trying to get something, it's difficult trying to improve something that's already almost perfect. But there's, I think, I think my, our, our, my thought is there's always room to make improvements in, in whatever you do. So um, that's kind of been our, our motto at Innovation. Right, right. In terms of the, because I've seen, uh, a lot of photos of your of the ulus that you're making, and is there a, a coating on the blade, or what, or what's the or um, or how do you get the color onto the onto the blades? Yeah, that um, there's a process called cherry coat painting, hmm. and and it involves uh, well, it's it's a, it's a it's a few steps to get into the to the point where you have the color. I mean, where you have. Uh, the blade painted and the first thing you got to do is you got to sandblast the the uh the blade to make sure that all the dirt and everything is removed and then you use a a spray paint uh a special spray gun i guess with the 0.80 nozzle on it and you have to uh spray the the, the paint it it's it, it, very very thin paint so you have to be very careful when you're when you're when you're spray painting it and after you paint the blades you have to cure it in an oven at a certain temperature for a few hours just so that the paint is is molded into the blade 
And so it's kind of a lengthy process, I guess, but it's well worth it. And the only way you can take the paint off is by grinder or by file. And it's very, very durable. And we've done some, I've done some research to make sure that it's, uh, it's safe. <laughs> so we don't, we're not poison. We're not poisoning anybody out there. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, for the person that, I mean, when I thought about this idea, I started seeing different color blades at uh, Canadian Tire or these, you know, major stores. So I thought to myself, you know, there's gotta, I gotta be able to make something like this myself. So I did some research and tried it out a couple of years ago and, and here we are. So we can come up with purple, red, pink, blue, black, and, but it's, it's interesting. Like it's time consuming, but it's worth it. I believe you're making, you're creating something that's a little different than the norm. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's, 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 uh, it's not just a simple as just putting tape, uh, I mean, paint on a blade and then off you go. So it's, it's, uh, it's a few steps to get to where they end up looking. Does the paint add any uh, durability to the the blade as well? It, it's I believe it's more cosmetics, um, and also and also anytime and like we're we're careful too. Like like when you when you heat up a a, a piece of steel, uh, whatever it is, the the texture or the or the 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 steel will be affected one way or the other. Uh, for example, like the type of steel we use, you can only heat it up for so long. Otherwise, the the steel will be compromised, and it won't harden anymore. So we gotta be we gotta be very careful how long we leave it in the oven, and uh, to make sure that the steel is not compromised when we're when we're treating it with uh, with that spray paint. So it's uh, generally the, the the paint is more cosmetic. It doesn't really add any durability to it. curing them and shaping them that's that's where the like the rust yeah like like we have testers uh, well we have testers to test the hardness of the blades and let's say well, i make uh 20 or 30 or 40 blades so I'll, I'll test one of the blades to make sure that uh the hardness are are where we want it to be um because we we heat them he we heat he treat them in a controlled kiln like environment oven um and and uh we can do multiple blades at the same time in this in this calm and and yeah so everything is everything is math everything is is calculated so that all your product will come out all the same um so, yeah sometimes we run run into issues we run into issues where we may have one bad blade out of a bunch and just the whole process. I, I really enjoy the process of it. Like, like even the cutting part. Uh, when I first started, I, I I was using files and and hand grinders and and zip cuts and and all that good stuff that uh, we normally use today. But over the course of time, I've I've invested into getting different tools uh, to make my life a little easier. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I design I design all the blades that uh, we have, um, and I've learned how to make multiple shafts for the for the for the ulus, uh, where you know it just, it just cuts on time, and and when you cut on time, you can sell your product a little cheaper. 
um, for the for the customers. So so a lot of it is involved. Quite a few of it is involved in terms of uh, like money running a business. I guess that's that's kind of where it is. I have my own setup. Yeah, I have my own shop. Uh, yeah, we're one of the things that we've been we've been working on the last few years is just become self-dependent uh, with with all our product. Uh, but the one thing that we can't do at this time is we can't make steel. <laughs> yeah, we we can't we can't that make would be steel yet. If you did. Um, yeah, we do a lot of laser engraving. <laughs> and and things like that, and uh, I work with uh, uh, some computer graphic designers to design some of the the stuff I've done, and so so the possibilities are endless when it comes to that. With the work that you do, do you kind of just make the ulus when you have time, or is it, or is this your the last couple of years? I can say that. I've 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 hired my one of my boys to work with me, and I've I've been training him for the last uh, six months, train the trade I guess into making these things and and it's not my primary um, job, if you want to call it that. Uh, I when I first started I started this just because of the fact that I had really nothing to do when I came down from from. From Nunavut, actually, because that's where my work is, and it was kind of a pastime thing when I first started, and uh, we we've come to the point where we're quite uh, busy um, building, making knives and oodles and, and harpoon heads. So, uh, like I said earlier, I've I've hired my my one of my boys to work with me, and I'm hoping that he'll be able to carry on uh, sometime down the road. You know, like in any business, you 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 want to succeed, but you're not sure if it's going to. <laughs> there's that there's that uh, uncertainty, um, and uh, you know I, I believe in hard work uh, at the same time, um, and 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 we're gonna keep at it, keep creating new things, and and uh, we we I think we've grown to having at least three, I mean, not about six uh, people carrying our product or stores carrying our product all across the Arctic and, and uh, one in uh, Labrador. Okay. And, um, so, so then, I mean, our product are kind of speaking for themselves and we got this other thing that we try and um, remember all the time is that whenever we're, I mean, your artwork is, is going to, is going to take your name with you wherever your artwork goes to. And that's the kind of model that we have. Uh, for example, if I, if I sold you an Ulu and, uh, and, and my name is coming with it. And that's where we, we, we want to make sure that any product coming out of our shop is at its best. Um, and there's no, you know, it, the customer will not have any issues with them. And uh, uh, I, I guess that's kind of where the creativity and the, and the, and the, um, 
the art part of it comes into play uh, just with the understanding that, you know, we're not building something just to make money out of it. We're building something with care and, and, and love um, and, and to make sure that uh, our customers are going to be happy with our product. Your products are available in stores. Uh, how, uh, how else do, how else do you make sales or get customers? Is it, predominantly through Facebook. Well, we have an Instagram account. Um, we have a fa- we have a we have a Facebook uh, page as well. Oh yeah. And we're we'll be working on getting a web page here within the next couple of months. I've been saying that for about a year. <laughs> we we get a lot of we get a lot of people asking us if yeah. we have a website, <laughs> web page. And uh, that's something that we're going to be doing uh, in a couple of months and uh, and we, you know, we, we're we're quite we've come a long way. Like I can say that that some of our product is in like overseas in Europe. We got some loose in France, um, Norway, and and England. Oh wow! A lot of some of our product are down in the states, Texas, and places like that. So, and it's been pretty well, I believe, by word of mouth, because we haven't, you know, reached out to these places at all and they come to us and i think in a way word of mouth is probably one of the better ways of advertising your product whatever product it is so yeah i can say we've gone global <laughs> uh, yeah it, it, yeah yeah we, we we've uh well congratulations we've got a map on our on, at our shop uh wall and uh, and uh, we 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 kind of funny where we can we can say that some of our products are on that on that map. So follow up to that. Do you uh, do you do special orders or do you have a pretty set like run of products that you make? I have uh, several styles of ulus. You've probably seen that on my Facebook page. And uh, using those styles, like, for example, um, we get quite a few orders of custom orders from customers where they want their picture of their child on the blade. Uh, so we, we've, we've been able to do that. We have the, the software to take your picture and put it right on the blade, laser engrave it. And, yeah, so... So we'll use one of our four sizes of blades and give the customer an op- an option uh, to to use what size of blade they want. Usually, we want the biggest one, just so that the resolution is a lot better with the with the bigger picture on the blade. So <clears throat> that's one of the things that we do, and we get a lot, we get to corporate orders as well, where people are ordering, um, for example. Uh, awards for their long-term employee award type of thing. That's something that we do uh, that is custom ordered. Which I, we just got one done for uh, a company in the Khalid today, actually. And so we get uh, other orders from mining companies as well that are giving out, uh, um, I guess, prizes or whatever when they're having their annual um, um, something. So, yeah. So, custom orders are very, uh, 
it happens quite often, more than I think, I think, than anything else. But, uh, yeah. So we're, we're, we're not, we're not limited to, I mean, let's say if Chris wants to get us, get one Ulu, we'll, we'll supply that. Um, and then, uh, some, every now and then they'll send me a picture of a, of an Ulu they want, design they want, and, and I'll make it out of scratch, uh, just for them. So yet you, you do have flexibility then in your production capacity. Yeah, I do. I, I always try to remember where where I started from. You know, these 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 people that, uh, and I, I think we're getting more we're we get a lot more corporate orders than we used to have. And uh, I th I think we you know we I'd be satisfied with just that. But at the very beginning, when we started selling Ulus, there were a lot of individual sales. And that's kind of where we started. And just in honor of that, I I don't mind making them uh, special orders for individual people. So sw switching it up a little, because I, I understand you have a uh, an outfitting business. Yeah, I, we do. Uh, we do spring and fall geese hunt. We've been doing that for uh, several years anyway. And... Um, that is something that I, I, I love to do. I love to go out and hunt. And one of the favorite things to do to hunt is, is, is waterfowl or snow geese. And I started to explore that uh, some time ago and and uh, didn't, wasn't quite sure what kind of market we would have in that, but um, <clears throat> we, we, uh, we, 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 took a, we took a chance and, and I can't say it's extremely busy, but um, <laughs> it, 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 it's going. Let's put it that way. Uh, how long ago did you start it? Uh, I believe it was around 2009 we started it. We, we started this. And I, our first year, we had uh, a company called, a TV company called uh, Canada in the Rough, where we wanted to advertise our, our outfitting business. With the help of Nunavut Tourism, we got that in place, and uh, they did a show with us. Arctic Adventures, I think it was called, and uh, yeah, at the time, and I think you can find that on YouTube. So we're on we're on that show, um, showing where I mean our hunt with geese and a couple other things that they were doing in town with us. So, yeah. So you got some exposure right from the start, then. We got some exposure right from the start. Yeah. I should have asked. What's the what is the name of the the outfitter? What's the name of the operation? Tessio Outfitters. It's called. You can find it online. Actually, we have a website. Though, I, though I need to update the website. The name the name I got from my oldest son. His name is his name is Tessio, and um, and uh, that's that's why we named it that. And I like the name. The, the meaning of the name I like as well. In, in, in our language, it's, it's uh, I'll take care of you, or uh, holding hands, like I'll take care of you, holding hands type of thing. Is that business a, a family run as well? or? It is. It is, yeah. Yeah, my dad, my, my sister are involved in that. So, yes, it is. And, and, ter and then in terms of kind of the, the logistics of the, the hunt, how how long is a typical uh, does someone book a trip for? Well, well, we open the season on the twenty fifth of May, and we'll close it on the tenth of May, 
the reason being uh, around the middle of June, I mean, sorry, 10th of June. I mean, I said May, I believe. Yeah, so from the 25th of May to 10th of June, that's our season. We have that two-week window. And the reason being is that we live right on a bird sanctuary, and we figured that uh, somewhere in the middle of June is where the bay birds start laying eggs. And and uh, we don't uh, normally hunt uh, geese when they're laying eggs. And even though the the Canadian Wildlife Services, I believe, have that the spring goose until June 30th. Uh, so, but we cut that early and, and, uh, just, just to, yeah, just to avoid our hunters hunting birds when they're laying eggs. So is it when, when people book a trip, is it for a, is it on a day to day basis? It is. Yeah. It's on a day to day basis. We give them a daily rate and, uh, it's up to the hunter how long they want to stay with us. Uh, a lot of the guys stay for about a week at a time. And it's quite expensive to get up there. So, uh, yeah. So the guys usually, the guys we usually get are very are extreme waterfowlers. They're the guys that hunt all over the world for birds. Do you have a, a camp that you base out of? And well, it depends the type of season we're having. Some of some springs are late. Some of them are on time, and some of them are early. And uh, the last year, last year was extremely late, and uh, we had our hunter hunting at the, I mean, he was staying at the hotel, and we would take them out from, from the hotel uh, to our blind nearby, near town. And But there we've had times where we, we had them at the camp as well, uh, when, the, when, the, when the spring season is normal, hmm. when it's warmer. So it depends. We go by the season, I guess, and how late, how early the Same thing with same same thing with the fall, similar idea in the fall as well. So we we tell our clients to make sure that they have travel insurance if they have to <laughs> if they have to change their their airfare they can change that on the fly without having to pay so much uh, money for the change fees. Right. So we make sure when they're booking their flights that they have travel insurance because we can call them on a let's say second week of May and say hey look you gotta come earlier. Or hey, you gotta come later. So we have to have that flexibility. And and in terms of the the actual the actual hunting process, uh, ha, uh, I'm a, I mean I've not hunted uh, not hunted waterfowl in any uh, concerted way, but I have a little sense. Do you use uh, decoys uh, or in, in calling, or is it um, is the is the spots where you go hunting? Is it in migration routes? So they're the geese are there anyways or yeah well we 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 usually do a lot of pass shooting and in, in, in other words the birds are traveling from point a to point b and uh uh it's a little different than how they hunt down south because a lot of these outfitters down south will have two thousand decoys um because down south, they're migrating in, in as a group in tens of thousands. But when they reach our area in the Arctic, they're only traveling at a, like maybe a dozen at a time. They spread out, and they're not traveling in tens of thousands. So we use very minimal amount of decoys, just 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 to uh, just 
just the characteristics of their migration changes up in the Arctic compared to the ones down south. So we may use a dozen decoys, maybe half a dozen purposely. Uh, we have we have found out that if we use too many decoys, that, that can scare them off a bit uh, because they're not used to seeing that up in the Arctic because they'll see pockets of, you know, five here and ten there and a couple here uh, feeding on the on the tundra compared to tens of thousands in the in the uh, down south. Um, so we have to make a little bit of adjustment there. And the calling part of it, uh, we use uh, traditional calling, Inuit calling up there, where we imitate uh, goslings, um, and that worked. That have worked very well for us over the years. And that and that's not with a like a prefabricated call. That's no, that that's all done by your fingers. <laughs> by your, <laughs> if you know how to whistle, then then you then then you're halfway there. Okay. And then the calling part of it is a little different afterwards. And, and, and I think over the course of time, we've learned to call properly. And, and a lot of the guys that are at that hunt up there, I call them, I know they're professional callers. Um, they've done it all their lives. And since they were little boys and, and, uh, uh, you get to the point where you can land keys without any decoys, uh, right in front of you. So yeah, they, they've become pretty good at that imitating. Uh, small geese. And do you, do you have to hunt out of uh, blinds or some some form of cover? Depending on the the area where you're hunting, if there's a lot of snow, we'll make snow blinds. But if there's a lot of ground, we'll we'll use uh, willow trees to make a blind. And uh, we 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 evolved like my dad would 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 go out and wait for geese uh, with no blind at all with no blind at all. Uh, and and we, we've changed up a little bit. My generation have changed. <laughs> Got a little, a little better, I think. And uh, this year we're going to be trying uh, layout blinds that you buy at the store. Okay. And uh, we're going to try those out, see how they work. So we're constantly trying to improve and trying to make it more comfortable for our, for our clients. And uh, we're going to try out the layout blinds this year that they use down south. We've never had that before. But it was a suggestion by made by one of our hunters, so we're going to check that out and see how it goes. So you're you're heading back up then? I will be. I'm I'm scheduled to leave here on the middle of May, and start getting set up uh, for the hunters up there. So yeah, I'll be heading back here soon, and my son will be carrying on with the uh, the Ulu business down here. Cool. How how long will you be in Coral Harbor for? I have to come back here middle of June. Um, then I'll come back. Then I'll go back up there uh, first week of July. And when when I get up there in July, I'll be there. I'm usually there until October, sometimes November. So you'll you'll be there for the fall season. Yes, yes, I will be. Is there any is there any difference between the two seasons in in the way that you hunt the geese or that the way that the geese uh, like their behavior or I, I think I think the fall hunt is more predictable than the spring hunt um, because just because of the fact that uh, there's a lot of yearlings, there's a lot of young geese in the fall, and and the parents are teaching them how to fly for a couple of weeks before they head south. 
So they're flying around around the island, going north, west, south, however, they just turn learning how to fly. And just before they start migrating, they have a they have one route is going down south. But in the in the in the in the springtime, they're coming from the south, going north. But when they reach our area in the spring, they're going they're flying all over the place. But in the in the, in the fall time, you, they're a lot more predictable, um, and you can set up your blinds in an area, um, and it's and it's more comfortable. I think in the fall. You're not dealing with uh, with with. I mean, it's warmer for sure, and no snow, and um, and yeah. So it was little. It was a little tricky at first trying to figure out the fall hunt because we've never done that before as Inuit, and uh, it took us a couple of years to to really figure out which which migration routes they have and. And when they start flying back south, and it was kind of a tricky um, uh, thing to find out. But uh, over after a couple of years, we're 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 in a pretty good spot where our birds, where our hunters are maxing out their daily bag limit a day. So it's good. It's getting better. Do you get a chance to hunt yourself when you go out, or when the when the seasons are on, or? Some sometimes, not not all the time. A couple of years ago, we had no, I had no chance at all because we were busy with the with the clients. Last year, uh, our clients came and 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 they were way too early. And uh, by the time their days were up um, and they left, the geese came. <laughs> so I had my daughter with me up there and my my older fella. And uh, but I hunted with my daughter afterwards, so we had a good time. I had finally had a chance to hunt myself. And my my daughter was uh, is, is eleven years old at the time. She's she's twelve now, but uh, she loves it. Do you have a, a hunting story or a fishing story that you like to share, or that you have a particular fond memory of? How much time we got? Five minutes. Ten minutes. <laughs> as much time as much time as you, uh, as long as you want to tell, I'll listen. I, I love stories. Yeah, well, I'm going to switch it up a bit. Uh, one of the things that I really, really, really enjoy, and I have for better part of my life, is hunting seals in the in the winter, uh, dead of winter, July. I mean, uh, January, February, uh, bit of December, when it's the coldest time of the year uh, in the Arctic. Um, uh, in, in Coral Harbor, we, there's, we get a lot of sea ice and that time of the year, um, a lot of the, the seals will have breathing holes. And one of the species of, of seals that, uh, we have up in the Arctic is called the bearded seal. And these guys grow up, grow up to about, uh, adults, maybe, you know, 10, 10 feet long, uh, some of them a little longer. And uh, weigh in anywhere between five and six hundred, seven hundred pounds, and uh, they're huge uh, in the winter time. And, and traditionally, culturally, our ancestors uh, harpooned these 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 uh, seals in their breathing hole, and uh, they give a they give a good fight. Uh, I can t- I can tell you that. And we've carried on that that tradition or that culture where we don't use any firearms, 
and we just use a harpoon and a harpoon head and a and a and a rope and uh that's something I love to do uh there there's some danger involved in that uh getting hurt and uh but it's something I look forward to every year and and uh, this year actually we had a very good time I caught uh three beauty seals with the with the harpoon and uh and uh yeah so so that's one thing that I enjoy I don't think I can really get into the details of that but lot of lot of uh information from our elders how to the right technique and and that uh, your mind has to be in the right place because when something is pulling you that's six or seven hundred pounds um there's not much room for mistakes <laughs> otherwise you'll be a herding fellow so that's something i i love to do and, and i'll continue to do that i actually have a have a video of that if you can look at my facebook page uh, and there's a video of of, 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 there's a couple of videos actually of us hunting bearded seals on the sea ice. Um, if you guys want to check that out. I, I definitely will. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have one on YouTube as well. Do you have to go, uh, again, I don't know why I like this question. Just to, I just do, uh, do you have to go far from town or like where? Um, usually, usually about 45 minutes to an hour you're going about 22 sometimes 25 miles south um to the hunting bay and uh, you got to be very careful too at, at one, that time of the year a lot of times ice will break up and you can be on the wrong side of the the flowage and uh people have have gone pretty bad situations when that happens um and they get carried away and i mean they get the current will carry that piece of ice there on and they'll end up way middle of nowhere right yeah so there's a little bit of it's interesting let's put it that way (laughs) (laughs) you you gotta be all you gotta be completely aware of your surroundings that time of the year things can go bad pretty fast well that might be a perfect place to to wrap this up Unless you have uh, anything else you'd like to say, I'd like to uh, wish all the 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 carvers and the artists and the people that make all the Inuit tools uh, all the best, and let's keep our tradition and our culture alive with our artwork. And um, you know, every, everyone's got their own little uh, designs and their way of making things, and and we just uh, wish everybody the best of luck. Thank you.